can make their way to the front, and they will meet our leaders as they head upstairs to our kids' crew room for kids' crew. And as they do that, I, I want to just take a, a moment to brag on all of our leaders who were involved this past week with Vacation Bible School. We had an outstanding week, VBS, uh, each evening this past week, and uh, I greatly appreciate all of our workers, all the leaders who uh, gave of their time. You, you worked all day, and, and then you came, and you worked every evening here, and, and we so greatly appreciate that. And in addition to that, I want to just really uh, give kudos to Colby Sorensen, did a great job organizing all of that. We're so grateful for his leadership and, and his investment in the lives of our children, our families, and just been a, a great week all the way around uh, with Bible school this past week, and uh, it was fun to be a part of it. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 4 this morning, and so I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles. We are looking at the gospel in Genesis. And so what we are doing is week by week, we are working our way through the book of Genesis, not necessarily verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the whole book of Genesis, but highlighting key parts of the book of Genesis that give us this framework of how we see the gospel woven into the fabric of the Old Testament. Because I believe it's important that we understand that all of the Old Testament is pointing the way toward Christ, that it is the, the, the purpose of what we see revealed in the Old Testament Scripture ultimately is to lead us to know Jesus by faith. It's pointing the way toward Him, that we may know Him by faith. Page after page, story after story, the Old Testament is pointing us to Jesus, and we see that as we look at the gospel as it is woven into the book of Genesis. All right, so as we jump into Genesis chapter 4 this morning, we're going to be studying the story of Cain and Abel. Parents, I, I want to ask a question that maybe you can relate, okay? Maybe, maybe I'm the only one, maybe no one else ever has, has had to deal with this, but I, I doubt it. I don't think I'm alone, that you have... You have worked to prepare a meal and put it in front of your kids. You've slaved over it. Maybe you've, you know, a lot of thought has gone into preparing the menu and, and all the work that goes into prepping the food, even by scratch maybe in some instances, right? And you're doing everything you can to present this really great meal to your kids. And you, you plate it and you set it in front of them and they turn their nose up at it, right? Like, I don't want this. What is this? Well, can I have something else? You know, they'll ask that question. Can I, have, uh, can I have something else? In our house, it typically goes something like, you know, there's too much sauce on this. Like sauce is a bad thing or something, you know. There's too much sauce on this. Or I don't like these, you know, fill in the blank, right, tomatoes, whatever, right? I, I don't like these or, oh, the, the, there's, there's too much of this. Or, you know, and, and that as parents, we, you know, you think to yourself, why do I even bother? Why did I even put all the work into this? Why did we even go to all the effort of this? Now, I'm not the greatest cook in the world, and, and I would even readily admit that in our house, Rayleigh does like 95% of the meal prep. The extent of what I can cook is relatively limited, right? Dad can cook breakfast pretty well, and if it involves a grill or fire, I'm okay at that. You know, I, I can do all right. But for the for the most part, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, it's in everybody's best interest that, that, that I don't do the majority of the cooking at our house. But Rayleigh will work over something, and, and, and I found myself even being guilty because 
I'll admit I'm a rather picky eater. I say to Rayleigh all the time, I say, I have a very refined palate, uh, but that's really just an excuse because I'm a pretty picky eater myself, right? And, 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 and there's that sense of rejection. When you've worked on something, you've, you've put your heart and your soul and your work and your labor into preparing, you know, something for your family, and, and they turn their nose up at it. We've ever, we've ever felt that sense of rejection, then in a sense we see hints of that with what is taking place in this, in this passage this morning in the story. Now, in a much more cosmically profound way than, you know, can I have chicken nuggets, right? What we see here is that God rejects the offering that Cain sets before him and, and I want to dig into that this morning, and I want to understand why is that. It's not that God is being like a, you know, a, a picky child here that says, that's not what I wanted. There's, there's something much more profound that's at work here and that's going on in this situation, and it points us toward the idea that, that when we do right before God, we will be accepted, but when we do wrong, we will be rejected. Galatians shows us that Christ became the curse for us. I read that passage earlier, Galatians 3.13, that Christ took the curse upon Himself for us. He became the curse for us. And the truth is that we are all cursed. We have all been rejected because of our sin before God, and yet Jesus became the curse for us to pay the price us. And that plays into our understanding of what is happening in Genesis chapter 4 when we see God's rejection of Cain's offering here and why that is and, and, of course, the consequences of that as well. So let's read together Genesis chapter 4. I want to start in verse 3. I don't want to read through verse 12, and we're going to understand how the gospel plays into this story of Cain and Abel. Genesis 4, 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Now, the verses that we just have uh, passed over in, in Genesis 4 have told us that essentially Abel works with animals uh, and, and that Cain was a farmer, right? That he worked with the things that grew from the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, verse 4, also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It is, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. When they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And so in this story, in this passage, we see the acceptance 
of Abel's offering and the rejection of Cain's offering. We see ultimately that one brother did what was right before the Lord and one did what was, what was evil in the eyes of God. And so there, there is this theme of acceptance and rejection ultimately of the offerings, but even more than just of the offerings of, of the individuals themselves. And, and as we study this, it's going to point the way to the gospel, because what we, what we really want to see, even in the, the, the details of this story of Cain and Abel, is we want to see that Jesus became the perfect sacrifice for us. Jesus was the acceptable sacrifice when all that we had to offer to God was an unacceptable offering to Him. And so, let's, let's understand that. The first theme, if you will, that we see in Genesis 4 in this story is the, the theme of acceptance and rejection. As we see the offerings that, that Cain and Abel brought before the Lord. Acceptance and rejection. One brother's offering is accepted and the other offering is rejected. And what we see is that God accepts a worthy sacrifice while an unworthy one He rejects. And so it tells us in verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Now, both Cain and Abel bring an offering before the Lord in this story. And what's interesting is there's no mention in the, in, in the detail and the description of the offering that Cain brought before the Lord. There's no, there's no reference to the fact that this was of the first fruits of the ground. Now, we know that Abel's offering that he brought before the Lord was of the firstborn of his flock the, the, and, and their fat portions. Abel brought the choicest things before the Lord, the choicest animal and the choicest part even of the animal is what Abel brought before the Lord, and yet Cain brought an offering before the Lord as well, but it wasn't what the Lord desired of him. Now, there have been a lot of scholars over time who have tried to get at the heart of why was Abel's offering accepted and why was Cain's offering rejected? And so some, in trying to understand why the Lord accepted one offering and why he rejected the other, some have, have reasoned that, well, it must be because Abel brought an offering before the Lord that was of an animal. So Abel brought a, a living thing, and, and it, was a, it was a blood offering, and, and even that Points back to points back to the the situation in Genesis chapter three. You remember we studied last week in Genesis three that Adam and Eve sinned and they sowed fig leaves and they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. The Lord walks in the garden. He calls out to Adam, "Where are you?" He ultimately he he shows them that he knows that they have sinned against him. He knows that they have rebelled against his word. And in covering Adam and Eve and their guilt now in their shame from their sin, the Lord killed animals and he made clothing for Adam and Eve from the skins of those animals that their nakedness might be covered. There was a substitutionary covering that was intended to take the place. And that even is a foreshadowing, a, a forerunner to our need for a substitutionary atonement. And so just as the Lord killed an animal sacrificed an animal and used its, its flesh to cover Adam and Eve, it points the way that we need the blood of something to pay the price 
for our guilt. And ultimately, Jesus is that ultimate sacrifice whose blood was spilled, whose body was given up for us to pay the price for our sin. And so some scholars have, have in trying to reason as to why Cain's offering was rejected and Abel's was accepted, have argued that, that Cain's offering was from the fruit of the ground that he brought of the, the, the things of the ground, when in reality he should have brought some kind of an animal offering before the Lord. But the reality is we have to infer that from this passage. There's nothing here that indicates that the reason that Cain's offering was rejected was simply because he brought from the food of the ground. And in fact, in later period, once the law is instituted, there are even grain offerings and and, uh, and, and offerings from the, from the harvest that the Lord requires of His people. You can go to Leviticus 23, and there are, there's, there's even the Feast of Pentecost is the Feast of the Harvest, and it's from the first fruits of the ground after the time of the harvest that the children of Israel were to bring before the Lord an offering of, of the grain, an offering of the, the first fruits of the ground to bring to the Lord. And, and so, I would, I would contend that we can't know that it's just simply because Abel brought an animal sacrifice and Cain brought a, a sacrifice of, of, we'll say, of, of, from the ground, of, of, of barley or wheat or produce, whatever it was that he grew from the ground, right? We can't know for sure that that's the reason, even though some have, have argued that that was the case. Another argument goes like this, that, well, we see clearly here that Cain brought from the fruit of the ground, but that Abel brought an offering from the firstborn of his flock, and that it's because Cain didn't bring an offering of the first fruits of the ground, rather just that he brought an, an offering from the fruit of the ground. And so the argument would be that the reason that Cain's sacrifice was rejected was because Cain didn't bring the Lord the first fruits, that he just brought something before God, but it wasn't the first fruits of what he had grown. And, and, and although that, we, okay, that makes sense because the Lord does call for us to bring him the first fruits from the ground. We don't know that Cain didn't bring the first fruits. We, we have to, again, we, we're, we're arguing from what we don't see rather than what we do know to be true. It could be that Cain brought this from the, the first fruits of the ground. It just doesn't say that explicitly there. I, I do think that that's telling in a way, but we can't be dogmatic about that because we don't know to be true. But here's what we do know, that when the Lord looked upon the offering that Cain brought, he saw that it was unrighteous in some manner. And, and to understand that, I turn to Hebrews chapter 11. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 11, you remember uh, a few months ago we studied through the book of Hebrews, and in Hebrews chapter 11, we find a reference to the offering that Abel brought. And so in Hebrews 11:4, this is what we read. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through, faith, through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now, this is what Hebrews points us to, Hebrews 4. The, the only thing that we can know for certain that, that would distinguish between the offerings of Cain and Abel 
is that when God looked upon the offering that Abel brought him, it was acceptable because it was considered an offering by faith. And that there was something about Cain's offering that was not based on faith. Now, anything else other than that leaves us trying to fill in the details, leaves us trying to take the pieces, if you will, and and put them together so that the puzzle becomes more clear. And I do think, okay, I, I do think that probably the idea that Cain's offering was not of the first fruits of the ground gets to the heart of the matter here, that, that the fact that, that he brought from the fruit of the ground, but it might not have been the first fruits of the ground, that seems to be a plausible explanation to why this offering was rejected before the Lord, but we don't know for sure. At, at best, we have some idea and, and maybe a, a, a reasonable explanation, but, but without real certainty, we can't know for sure. What we do know is this. God looked at the offerings that Cain and Abel brought before him, and because of his faith, Abel's offering was accepted before God, and Cain's offering was rejected, but not just their offering. I want you to see this. Look look at what the passage says specifically, because this is very telling as well. It tells us in verse 4 that Abel brought of the firstborn of the flock and of their fat portions. By the way, the fat portions, that was the the fattiest portion of the animal. That was considered to be the choicest part of the animal for the offering. It it would elicit, because of the fat, it would elicit uh, quite an aroma when it were burned. and and, and, And so just, in other words, Abel brought before God the best, the best of his flock, the best portion of the, the animal even, the, the able put the best before the Lord. And look at what it says in the second part of verse 4. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Not only was Abel's offering accepted before the Lord, but Abel himself was acceptable before God because of his offering. And so the Lord God had regard for Abel and his offering, but then notice what it says about Cain, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So not only is it Cain's offering that is rejected, but it is Cain himself who is rejected by the Lord. Now that points to the fact that there was something unrighteous in Cain. There was something unholy. There was something uh, unworthy, if, if we would say it that way. There was something about Cain and his offering that the Lord looked upon and said, this is not acceptable. This is not what I have called for you to do. This is not what I require of you. And so Cain was rejected because, not just because of his offering, but because ultimately of his heart is the issue. Cain's offering was unacceptable Because Cain himself, the instrument that was offering up this offering, Cain himself was unworthy before the Lord. And so not only does God reject his offering, but he rejects Cain. You know, when we understand that, I think if if we're seeing the gospel in the light of Genesis chapter 4, if we're seeing the gospel in the light of this context, it it reminds us that before God, we are unworthy and rejected because of our sin. 
The truth is that we can all identify with Cain because we have sinned before God. And in our sin, we have been rejected because in our sin, we have rebelled against God and his authority over us. So God accepts a worthy sacrifice, but an unworthy one he rejects. And, and when we understand that, that, that helps us understand on, a, on an even deeper level, on a gospel-centered level, we see that only Jesus was worthy to offer payment for our sin. When we think of this in terms of how this points us to understand and know the gospel, we are the ones that have the unworthy offering. Our lives are the unworthy offering, unacceptable before God because of our sin. Only Jesus was worthy to bring his offering before the Lord because only Jesus had lived a sinless, perfect life. And yet what was it that Jesus did for us? Well, he he paid the price. He gave the acceptable offering, as it were, by, by offering himself as payment for our sin. In verse 7, the Lord says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? The reality is, the only way that you and I can do well is by faith in Jesus. Because it's only through his blood covering us, only through his substitutionary death as payment for our sin, his offering, if you will, of his life, making payment for us, that we can be acceptable before God. Because on our own, the offering that we bring to the Lord is unworthy, because we are unworthy in our sin. And just as Cain and his offering were rejected, we are rejected before God in our sin. But by faith in Jesus, we can be accepted when, when, when by faith his, his death, his offering pays the price for us. So the, the first major theme that we see in this story is this theme of acceptance and rejection. Acceptance and rejection. But not only that, we, an, another central theme to this story that points us back to the gospel is the idea of innocence and guilt. Innocence and guilt. What, what is it that Cain does after his offering is rejected before the Lord? It says that he spoke with Abel, his brother, in verse 8. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. And the Lord said to Abel, where is your brother? Cain's response is, I do not know. And am, am I my brother's keeper? I'm not responsible for my brother, was Cain's response, right? I'm not responsible for, for Abel. And yet, what does the Lord reply? Your brother's blood cries out to me. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground, right? Verse 10. And so the first thing that we see in this, in this idea of innocence and guilt as we see these major themes is that Abel's innocent blood cried out to God for justice. God says to Cain, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And so the Lord puts a curse on Cain. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain, who made his living by working the earth, now is, is cursed by God 
and no longer will the, will the earth return its yield to him. No longer will he be able to do that which, that which he had done. No longer will he be able to, to grow things from the ground, and, and, and no longer will he essentially have his livelihood, his means for, for sustaining himself and his family, because he is found guilty for God. And how is it that God knows of what Cain has done? Because it tells us that his brother's blood cried out for justice. His brother's blood cried out from the ground. And so we understand this, this idea. There's the idea of innocence and justice. Abel was innocent because he did what was right, because he offered an acceptable offering by faith before God, and it was received by God, and he was considered righteous, Hebrews 11.4 told us, because by faith he offered an acceptable offering. And Cain, who offers an unacceptable offering, is rejected by God, and then in his sin kills his brother, and he is guilty of his brother's blood, which cried out from the ground, right? Cries out from the earth. What, What a telling description. And again, when we consider this in light of the gospel, when we see this in light of our understanding of Christ and His innocence, we understand that the innocent blood of Jesus was poured out so that we might be justified. Abel's innocent blood cried out for justice. The innocent blood of Jesus was poured out so that we might be justified. In Hebrews, again, in, the, in chapter 12, verse 24 of Hebrews, it tells us that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And that's an interesting way to put it, right? That the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. So if the word that the blood of Abel spoke was crying out for justice, Hebrews 12, 24 tells us that the word that the blood of Jesus speaks is one that speaks justification for those who are condemned. Abel's blood cries out for justice. Jesus' blood cries out, you can be justified by faith. And so in this, this theme of innocence and guilt, we see Abel was innocent and his blood was spilled by his brother who was guilty. As it relates to us and understanding our guilt before God, again, as we identify here with the character of Cain, we understand that we are guilty before God because of our sin, and yet we can be considered innocent by the blood of the innocent one who gave himself up for us, the innocent blood of Jesus poured out so that we can be justified. So we see the, the themes, acceptance and rejection, innocence and guilt. And finally, the, the, the final theme that I want us to see in this passage is that of blessing and curse. What is it that happens to Cain because of his sin? He's cursed by God. He's, he's caused now to wander the earth. No longer will the earth produce its fruit for Cain. Now he will be a wanderer. He will be dependent upon others. And, and Cain even says, this punishment is greater than I can bear. Where, where can I go? Because when others find me, they will kill me, he even says to God. And God says, no, they, no one's going to kill you or else I'll, I'll visit your guilt on them seven times. So, and, and, and so the Lord marked Cain. He marked him in such a way, and we don't know it precisely what that mark was, but God marks Cain. Cain became literally a marked man. 
so that when others saw him, they knew this is Cain, that God has cursed. We, we, should, we should leave him alone. We should stay away from him. Cain's sin brought a curse upon him. In his sin, he was cursed before God. And yet, what do we see as we relate this to the gospel and we understand how this points the way to our understanding of Christ? We see that Jesus' death brings a blessing upon those who trust in him. Although Cain's sin brought a curse, Jesus' death pays the price for our curse, right? Jesus' death brings a blessing for those who would trust in him by faith. Because as we saw in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us by becoming a curse for us. Jesus did for you what you could never do for yourself. Jesus paid the price. In, in, the, in the context of this story, as it were, Jesus is the righteous, innocent one who gave his life, whose blood was spilled so that he might pay the price for you and I. You and I are the one who is guilty. You and I are the one who is rejected in our sin, and yet we can be made righteous by faith when we trust in Jesus, the innocent one, who was accepted by God. And so this points the way for us to, to turn our lives to, to God and, 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 and to surrender all that we have to Him. I, I want to see in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, I, I, want, I want you to see this. It speaks of Jesus in Hebrews 12, 24, and it says that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. And it speaks to the sprinkled blood, which is the blood of Christ that was given for us, right? And it says that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, is sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We understand that by accepting Jesus in faith and accepting his payment for our sin... What was that payment? That payment was his life given for us on the cross, his blood spilled on the cross to pay the price for our sin. And by receiving that in faith, we can be, we can be set free from the curse of our sin. We can be forgiven. We receive the blessing that is poured out on those who by faith trust in Christ. What we deserve before God is rejection because of our sin. We are guilty we stand cursed, and yet what we can receive by faith is forgiveness, acceptance when we deserve rejection, innocence when all we have known is guilt, by trusting in the work of Jesus on the cross. It's, it's the, ultimate, the ultimate exchange. Do you see that? It's the ultimate trade-off that we receive what we could never hope to earn or deserve on our own because Jesus willingly gave himself up for us. He paid the price for us on the cross. His life, his blood given to set us free from the curse of our sin. And in that we see that this story points the way toward Christ. Points the way ultimately toward the blood of Jesus which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. In a moment, we're going to have a time of response. And in that time of response, if you're here today and you realize there's never been a time in your life 
when you have trusted in Jesus by faith. There's never been a moment in your life when, when by faith you have called on him, when you have received his payment as payment for your sin, by faith, trusting in Jesus, that I would encourage you that you would come forward, that you would today make this the moment that you surrender your life to Jesus. I'll be here at the front during the time of invitation, ready to pray with you, ready to, to walk you through a simple prayer of faith. All week this week at Bible school, as we've counseled with children, we've, we've explained to them the ABCs of becoming a Christian. And the reality is, that's not just truth for kids, that's truth for all of us. That A, we would admit to God that we are sinners and we would repent of our sin. We would turn away from our sin. But B, we would believe that God sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay the price for our sin. And that C, we would confess him as Lord of our lives. Confess him as Savior and Lord. This morning, are you willing to admit your sin before God and turn away from it, believing that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price? And Are you ready to confess him as Savior and Lord of your life? If you do, then by faith, you can be considered innocent when you deserve punishment because of your guilt. You can be found acceptable when what you deserve is rejection because of your, the, your sin in your life. You can receive the blessing that you do not deserve and be set free from the curse caused by your sin if by faith you would call on the name of Jesus you bow your heads and close your eyes with me. And as we prepare for this time of invitation, I, I want to encourage you, even now, you would, you would look deep into your heart and you would ask yourself the question, have I called on the name of Jesus and have I received his payment for my sin? Has there been a moment in my life when I have been found innocent, not by the works of my own hands, but by the blood of Jesus, which was poured out as payment for my sin. 